to you. Welcome. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. We want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad that you are. Uh, before we get started, two things I want to mention, the first of which is uh, the rally yesterday. I want to just say to everyone who served and prayed, thank you, thank you, thank you, and God bless you. Yeah. I was telling first service that I really don't know if it's possible to fully understand how many people were actually reached or touched by what we did here yesterday at this God's Church. So I just wanted to say thank you for all of you that served and prayed. Uh, also, speaking of prayer, we have our prayer meeting coming up on Tuesday, September 6th here in the sanctuary, 7 p.m. want to encourage you to come and join with us. Hope you will. So we started last week in 1 Peter, having completed James. Today our text will be chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'll ask those of you that are here, if you're able, to stand. You can follow along as I read. If not, where you're seated is fine. The Apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit, writes, verse 6, <clears throat> In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though, verse 8, you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray, if you would, please join with me. Father in heaven, thank you so, so, so much, Lord. <sighs> Lord, would you at this time, as only you can, and are always so faithful to, just settle our hearts, especially those who are heavy hearted and struggling and weary and discouraged. Lord, this passage that we have before us today is for us today. And so Lord, we are with great anticipation looking to You, the author, the finisher of our faith, to minister to us, speak into our lives. Bless our time together in Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about why it is that we all suffer grief when we go through those various kinds of fiery trials in our lives. Have you ever gone through a trial? <laughs> Just want to make sure that 
You okay? I have. <laughs> Reminds me of that saying that you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. Isn't that perky? Wow, thank you so much. But it's the truth. We do go through these trials in our lives, and they are and they're for a purpose and for a reason. And in the text that we have before us today, the Apostle Peter, by the Spirit, is encouraging believers who at that time, in that day, were in extreme pain and suffering. We talked about that a little bit last week. What they were going through was unspeakable and unthinkable, just horrific. So he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to encourage the believers. And in the text before us, he provides us with no less than three reasons as to why it is that we suffer grief. And perhaps more importantly, what's accomplished when we suffer grief. And the first one is in verse 6, and it's so that we can greatly rejoice. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Okay, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it to you. This is paradoxical, right? Wait, I go through trials, fiery trials. I suffer grief, intense grief, to greatly rejoice? Yeah. Please explain. I don't have to. The Lord will and has in His Word by the Holy Spirit. Yes, suffering grief is the antithesis of greatly rejoicing. But here's the truth. We can greatly rejoice when we suffer grief. Not only is this possible in the power of the Holy Spirit for those who are in Christ. This is actually what is produced and accomplished vis-a-vis -vis those fiery trials in our lives. Replete throughout Scripture, we find examples of this, both Old and New Testament, and exhortations concerning this one of which is in the book of James, which remember when we were there in chapter 1, about what, six months ago now, beginning in verse 2? James, in effect, is echoing what the Apostle Peter is writing, and vice versa. He says, consider it pure joy, <laughs> my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, if you stop right there, you're very confused, right? Cons consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's kind of cruel if you leave it there. But thankfully, we're not left there, because verse 3 comes after verse 2. I know that's deeply profound. What does verse 3 say? Verse 3 tells us why we can consider it 
pure joy when we face these trials, these various trials, fiery trials. Here's why. Because you know, not hope, wish, you know that the testing of your faith, and here it is, produces perseverance. Let, key word, <laughs> perseverance, let, did I say let? Because we don't let, we fight, right? Okay, I'll just speak for myself. You're more spiritual than I am. I fight it. I don't let it. I'm kicking, fighting, biting, scratching all the way. Lord, what are you doing? Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So wait a minute. And I don't want to reteach this passage in James. We went in depth into this. But you mean to tell me that I can consider it pure joy and greatly rejoice in the midst of a very painful trial and suffering grief, because I know that it produces perseverance? Yes. Wait, is there any other way to get the perseverance to go through the trial I'm going through? No. So the only way I can get the perseverance to get through the trial that I'm in is by getting through the trial that I'm in. Yes. Let me try that again. So you mean that the perseverance to get through the trial is found and produced by getting through the trial? Yes. And if I let perseverance finish its work, I'm going to be mature and complete, and I'm not going to lack anything. And I will consider everything pure joy, knowing this. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5. I mean, <laughs> Paul, Peter, James, doesn't get any better than that, right? Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, we're good so far. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Not so fast. We do? Yeah. Wait a minute. That's what Peter just said. That's what James said. And now you're saying it too? Yeah. We also rejoice in our sufferings? Yeah. How? Why? Because we know there's that word again. We know that suffering produces perseverance. And he basically says the same thing in a different way. 
And he even takes it further because he says that perseverance produces character. And character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts. Hang on to that, by the way. By the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Okay, so let's get back to verse 6. So I can greatly rejoice whenever I face these fiery trials, knowing what God is doing and where God is going by allowing that trial into my life. Never think for a second that God is not accomplishing something in my life. See, there's a lack. I'm lacking something. And the only way God can provide that which I'm lacking is by allowing me to go through that suffering, that trial. You know, I look back on the trials in my life over the years, and while I would never want to go through them again, I would never trade what God did in me, in and through those trials that I went through. On the tail end of it, all that God accomplished in and through it. And there is a, a rejoicing. It may not be during the trial. I mean, after all, it is so painful. And sometimes it just seems so hopeless. But at the tail end of it, and we're going to see that next, when Peter says, for a little while, a little while? <laughs> You're suffering? Yeah, a little while. I hope it's a little while. Seems like it's been a long while. But when the perseverance has been allowed to finish its work, it's going to produce in you this hope, this rejoicing. And, and here's the thing, and I love this about what Paul says to the Romans, the one who puts his hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. God will never fail you. God will never let you down. God will never disappoint you. God <laughs> will always bring you through. And knowing that, knowing that, again, not, not, I sure hope so. No, I know, I know. We're going to talk about that more in a moment too. Well, we've got a lot of things we're going to talk about here in a moment. But I know, I know, I know what God's going to do. I don't see it yet, but I know He's going to do it. Why would He not? How many times has He brought me through what I thought was going to be the end? I mean, this is how it ends. I'm not getting out of this one. And then you go through it, and you get through it, and then God does that work in you and through you because of it, and you're rejoicing and praising God. That's the rejoicing, greatly rejoicing. Now hang on to that, because you're going to need it <laughs> for the trial that's around the corner. That, that kind of bummed you out. I was doing pretty good there for a moment, wasn't I? Well, here's the second one in verse 7. And this is interesting. It's to prove my faith. 
Now, in order to better understand what Peter is saying here, I think we would do well to first understand what he's not saying. He's not saying that the proving of the genuineness of our faith has anything to do with having to prove to God anything. He already knows. That's not what's being proved here. What's being proved here is, because God already knows, it's being proved to me and to others around me who are watching me go through that fiery trial. In other words, I'm not just a fair-weathered Christian. I'm going through this intense suffering, suffering grief in this fiery trial, and yet I'm hanging on to the Lord, and the Lord is hanging on to me, <laughs> and it's proving my faith. It's proof that I have faith. Because if you flip it around the other way, and I go through a trial, and I'm like, forget this. Well, that's what I thought. The proof is in the pudding, we might say. Okay, that was bad. The proof is in the trial. Put your faith where your mouth is, or actually the other way around. Put your mouth where your faith is. Let, let's see it. Prove it. Prove it. Let adversity strike. Let's see what you do then. Is Job coming to mind? That was the whole thing with Job, right? Here comes Satan. I find it very interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. I find it very interesting that Satan didn't ask God about Job. God asked Satan about Job. I never saw that before. And I, I thought, well, that's an interesting detail. Because you would think that Satan would be, you know, hey, of course he has access to, you know, the heavens. That's why we're going to have the new heavens and the new earth. So he's kind of roaming around throughout the earth, you know, to and fro, and he kind of swings by. He's in the neighborhood, and God says, hey, Satan, what's, what's up? <laughs> what, 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 you, what you doing? He already knew what he was doing. Well, I was just kind of hanging out, you know, roaming to and fro throughout the earth. Hey, did you happen to notice my servant Job? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. That's why I'm here. Glad you brought it up. And then he does this. Well, of course. He serves you and loves you and is faithful. I mean, look at how you bless him. Let me just, let me just mess with him. He'll curse you to your face. And I can prove it. Okay, deal. Oh, I feel so sorry for Job right about now. He has no idea what's happening in the realm of the Spirit. So God, who knows already, Job doesn't have to prove anything to God, but He's going to prove His faith, and He's going to remain faithful. And in all of this, He did not curse God. And God knew that. Keep in mind, God would have never allowed any of that to happen if He knew, foreknew, that Job would not be able to get through that I mean, you can't, it's hard to read, let alone teach. Remember when we were going through Job verse by verse? Man, I wanted to get a t-shirt afterwards. I studied Job and survived and lived to tell about it. It was so painful. 
But what did it prove? It proved that Job's faith was the real deal. And that was the whole point of the suffering that Job went through. I mean, intense suffering and the pain. Can you imagine? And in the end, it proved his faith and it proved that God was right about Job, his servant. No, he's not going to curse me. I know that you're accusing him because you're the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies and the author of confusion. That's just your M.O. But you think that the only reason that he praises me and loves me and serves me is because I bless him? Okay. You go for it. And he allowed Job to go through all of that. And it proved that Job loved God. There's a couple of um, very powerful and profound places in the book of Job that I think we would all do well to remember. One of them is when Job says to his wife after you know, bless her heart. In all fairness to Job's wife, I remember I stumbled and fumbled and bumbled when we got to that part where she says, curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Um, but think about it from her perspective. Those were her children too. And now she's looking at her husband in that condition. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, curse God and die. It was kind of like, I can't stand to see you like this my husband, my godly husband, who led a godly and righteous life and led our family as a godly leader and a godly husband. And now look at you. I, I, can't, I can't stand to see. Don't you find it interesting that, that Satan didn't take out Job's wife? <laughs> I don't want you to read too much into this. And let's be careful here now. Don't look at me like that. I wonder about that. I wonder about that. It's kind of like Satan goes, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I can use her. You know, <laughs> can you imagine the demons going, hey, what about his wife? No, don't. She's on our side. <laughs> Okay, that's as far as I'm going to go with it. That's too far, maybe. I'm sorry. But it was for her too, because He proved to her His faith. Think about that. I love it when God does that. I love it when that which is fashioned and meant and intended for evil is thwarted. You, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, for the salvation of many this day. God takes the bad as only He can and makes it good. And it proved to her, no dear, <laughs> you'll see. I think about David in Psalm 27 verses 13 and 14. Uh, God has used that psalm, those two verses at the end in particular in my life over the years. David basically is coming to the end of himself, and he's just about ready to 
toss in the towel, curse God and die. He, he's about ready to give in and give up. And he says as much. He said, I, I would have lost confidence. And I almost did, except that I knew that I would see, knew that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he kind of turns this corner, starts talking to himself. Different than self-talk, it's a talk to self. He says, you be strong and be of good courage. Just wait, you'll see the goodness of the Lord. Just wait, you'll see. I almost wonder if Job had that kind of a conversation with his wife. Honey, just wait, you'll see. <laughs> She's going, really? By the way, this might be helpful for some, and it kind of comports with Peter saying that for a little while. Now, when we were going through Job, it took us, I think it took us a year. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> might have been over a year to get through that, that book. Whew. Um, you would almost get the impression that that period of time of suffering for Job was like years. It wasn't. It was approximately six months. It was a little while. And when you're going through that book, I mean, you're like, <laughs> it keeps going and going and going and going. Six months. From chapter 1 to the end. And Job tells his wife, he says to her, shall we only receive good from the Lord and not accept evil? I mean, there's no account in the narrative of any response on the part of Job's wife. I think it silenced her, and rightfully so. Blessed be the Lord God, He gives and He takes away. And then the other one that is profoundly powerful, and I hope helpful and encourage, encouraging to anyone who's really struggling and hurting right now. Job says, though he slay me, though he kill me, here he is suffering, scratching. I'm sorry for the graphic nature of it, but it needs to be graphic. He's got these boils and sores, and he's taken, sitting on a rubbish heap. Imagine the smell. And he's taken broken clay, and he's scratching the itch on these boils from head to toe, we're told. And in that state, he's lost his kids. He's lost everything, all of his wealth. He was very wealthy. And his wife wants him to just put himself out of his misery. Curse God, get this over with. I can't stand to see you like this. And in that state, he says, I'm still going to praise Him. I'm still going to trust Him. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. My days are in His hands. Do unto me as you see fit, O Lord. I belong to you. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. You have the day of my birth and the day of my death and every day in between in the palm of your hands, according to your will, O God. So be it. 
We don't like that, if we're honest with ourselves, right? And boy, sure, you sure don't want to talk about any of this to the faith, word faith teachers, you know, the prosperity gospel people. They, they'll rebuke you, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, no, you just need to speak it, name it, claim it. Job didn't have enough faith, otherwise God would have healed him. Really? Hmm. So, by the way, they have a word for that. It's called idolatry. You come to the Lord, not for the Lord, but what you can get from the Lord, not for the Lord. It's called idolatry. And that's sin, by the way, just spoiler alert. <laughs> I wonder if this in some way explains why the church is in the condition it's in today. We've um, abandoned passages like this in 1 Peter. We, we won't get anywhere near the book of Job. We don't want to hear that we're going to suffer grief and pain and sorrow. I think about Jesus. He was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. And we're identifying with Him in our sorrow and grief. But how am I going to prove that I have that kind of faith? I've got to go through it. Because if everything is smooth sailing, you know what they call a life without any rain, any storms? A desert. Yeah, a barren desert. Nothing grows there. No, you need the storm. You need the adversity of the wind to fly, to soar. You have to have the adversity and you have to have those storms in life. You know trees, they, I, I learned this when we came here. I had not seen a palm tree until our first year of marriage. Only pine trees where I come from. Remember my, my first time seeing a palm tree, it was amazing. I, I, wow, this is what a palm tree, I have to confess, I hugged it. I'm not a tree hugger, but I just, this is such a, I love palm trees, man. I'm just, I think there's going to be palm trees in heaven. So I learned something about palm trees. You know, in, in hurricanes, you see these palm trees, they're like this. You're like, it's still, it's not, it's bending and bowing. Good posture, by the way, when you're in a storm. Just saying. It's, it's bowing and bending, but it's not breaking. How is that possible? Oh, because of the roots. That's why. Oh, you mean the roots are that strong? Yeah. And were it not for the roots, that tree is down. Well, how does the tree get the roots? In the storm. The message is sent, hey, we better go down deeper. There's a storm coming. And the roots grow down deeper and stronger. 
I think that's a great example for our Christian lives. In the storms, the trials of life, we go deeper in our roots in the Word of God. Well, there's something else here before we move on. And it's in Job 23, verse 10. Listen to what he says. He says, But he, speaking of God, knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, he's not passed the test. He's not proven himself yet. He says, I shall come forth as gold. Okay, we've got to talk about gold, because Peter brings up gold refined by fire. This is powerful. Bear with me. Let me explain. You know how a goldsmith purifies gold? The goldsmith subjects that gold to intense heat. And in so doing, the impurities in that gold come to the surface. And the goldsmith then takes the impurities, the dross, and he scrapes it off the gold. And he knows he has pure gold when he can see his image reflected in that gold. Oh, I see what you're doing, Lord. You're proving me. You're refining me. I think about Isaiah, <laughs> one of those verses where at first read you're like, no. <laughs> he says, God, through the prophet Isaiah, I've chosen the furnace of affliction to refine you. Why? The furnace of affliction? Why can't it be the beaches of Oahu to refine me? No, it's the furnace of affliction. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their names given to them. And they're thrown into this fiery furnace, seven times hotter than it's ever been turned up before. You know the typology we've talked about. I won't go into it in the interest of time. But isn't it interesting, right before they're thrown into that fiery furnace, you know what they say? They say, our God is able to deliver us. But ooh, if He doesn't, so be it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to, I'm really convicted right now, because I don't know, that I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, no, don't throw me in there. Do you know that the only thing that was burned when they were thrown into that furnace, where the Lord was, by the way, in the midst of the furnace, um, the only thing that was burned were the ropes that bound them. There wasn't even, we're told the detail in the narrative, not even the, the, the smell of any kind of smoke in their hair, which means they had hair. But um, <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. But they, so, okay, they had hair, but you couldn't smell any smoke or nothing. And that fire was so hot that the, the guys that were throwing them in, they, they got burned alive. The only thing that was burned for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the ropes that bound them. You see where I'm going with this? God will allow us to go into that 
fiery furnace of affliction, those fiery trials to burn off that which binds us, to scrape off the impurities that are in us, to make us pure and more like Jesus. Well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because this is the third one, and it's in verses 8 and 9. You know, we suffer grief, we go through fiery trials to love Him more. Now when I say this, I know there are some that are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But when you go through a trial and you taste from the cup of God's love for you, it ruins you. And there's no other way that you would have ever known that love that He has for you, had you not gone through that trial you went through. And He saw you through that trial, and He revealed Himself to you in ways that He could not have otherwise revealed Himself to you. And you come out on the other end of it, and you just, you just come away with this very simple but powerful truth. Jesus loves me. He really loves me. And what's the response that comes from that? We in turn love Him more. He first loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You'll forgive me for saying this, but I feel sorry for people that haven't ever tasted from that cup. I really do. And I, I mean that in love. <laughs> I hope you receive it as such. But I really feel sorry for people that have never been through that trial and tasted from that cup of joy and love that God has for you. Where, I mean, you're, you're thinking to yourself, God, what am I going to do? Trust me. Yeah, but God, this, this, is, this is really bad. I know. God, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You will. And then He does what only He can because of His agape love for you. And you experience that love, and I mean, you're ruined for Him for the rest of your life. That's what Peter is saying. And I love how Peter says it, because he says, even though you haven't seen Him, <coughs> I did. Nah, 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 nah. I knew Him. I walked with them. You didn't. It's not like that. But, but he says to them, even though you do not, keyword, see Him, you love Him. You believe in Him. Now, we need to talk about this too, because we've been taught, unfortunately, sadly, that seeing is believing. 
And lest you come down too hard on Thomas, who I think a lot of people are going to owe Tom, Thomas, doubting Thomas an apology. I think he's going to be there with Peter. I think a lot of people are going to owe Peter an apology too. But, you know, we, doubting Thomas, no, that's not really fair. He, he wanted to see what the other disciples saw. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus even acknowledges that. So he sees Jesus and he says, when the other disciples saw Jesus who appeared to them when Thomas wasn't there, he says, I want to see the, the nail, the spikes. I want to see the scars like you did. And so Jesus appears to Thomas. That's grace. And he shows Thomas his scars. And then Thomas just crumbles. And what does Jesus say to him? I thought I taught you better than that. Come on, Thomas, what's the matter with you? No. He says, listen, <laughs> I know that was kind of, it's been a long week. <laughs> okay. So, no, he says to him, hey, you know, you, you see and believe and you're blessed, right? Thomas, check this out. How about those who don't see and believe? How much more blessed are they going to be? That's what Peter's saying. So now stay with me. So we've been taught seeing is believing. But it's the opposite that's true. Believing is seeing. And that's where we get all messed up. John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 40. Then Jesus said, this is when, you know, He comes. And Mary and Martha, um, particularly Martha, by the way, man, that, that was an interesting dynamic between the, these two sisters. Uh, we get a, a glimpse into their personalities. But I mean, she's angry at Jesus. If you'd have been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. Why did you take your time? And they even sent guys to tell Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is like, okay. And he doesn't go. It's like three, four days later. And he comes. They're like, what's up with this? Where's the love? You don't care if you'd have been here. Oh, if you only knew. I delayed to do the greater miracle. If I'd have just healed him, yeah, that's a miracle. I raised him from the dead. Now that's a miracle. Because <laughs> I'm the resurrection and the life, by the way. So never imagine that Jesus is like me. <laughs> I hope I'm like Jesus, which we're going to end with here. Just be patient. Um, but never imagine that Jesus has got a harsh tone when He says this to them. But He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Believing is seeing. But see, that's our problem. We don't see. And everything within us wants to see it, to believe it. See, in our human nature, <laughs> we want to walk by sight. 
right? Come on. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith is the antithesis of sight. By the way, on that great and final day, when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain are caught up, raptured up, we, no need for faith, we see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, strong word, of that which is yet unseen. Faith is the antithesis of sight. And that's our problem. And that's the struggle, isn't it? I, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I have faith, but it's like that man that said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh man, that verse has got my name written all over it, and yours too, so don't look at me all spiritual. Man, I, I, I believe, but I, I just, can I just see? Well, that's not faith then. That's not faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't think there's a one of us here that doesn't want to please God, right? I wonder how displeasing it is to God when we demand to see and not live by faith. Hey, if I see it, we're good. No, you need to know, know by faith. Romans 8, 28. Ah, you knew it was coming. Didn't you? Okay. And we know. Don't you find it interesting that Paul doesn't say, and we see. No. We know. How do you know? By faith, not by sight. We know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Okay. This is the purpose, <laughs> the purpose of our suffering and grief and sorrow and pain is to make us more like Jesus. That's in verse 29, by the way which we, don't, we never quote verse 29 with verse 28. We just stop at verse 28. The purpose is in verse 29, is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, to refine us like gold in the fire, to deepen and strengthen our roots in the storm, to make us more like Jesus. That's what it's accomplishing. He, he's, he's making us into the image of Jesus Christ, so that He can see His image reflected in our lives. And by the way, did you pray, make me more like Jesus? That's why. Be careful what you pray for, we say. Oh, Lord, make me a man of prayer. I actually prayed this many years ago. I never prayed it again, because yeah, it's kind of like, make me a man of prayer. Are you sure? Yes, God, I want to be a man of prayer. All right. Here come the trials, and there I go down on my knees. Oh, God, I can't. I made him a man of prayer. Make me more like Jesus. Are you sure? 
Because now we're talking because that's according to my will and purpose. And whenever you ask anything according to my will, I'm going to do it. So are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. And then here comes the trials, the pain, the suffering, the grief. And he's burning all the impurities to the top, scraping it off. He's refining us and purifying us. And He's making us more like Jesus. What was Jesus like? Well, meek, patient, kind, gentle, long-suffering. I mean, the list is quite long. I can keep going. I don't know if I need to. I think you get the point, right? Is it not true that when we go through those fiery trials, we come out on the other end of it more compassionate for other people? We've, we certainly come out of it more humble, don't we? We come out of it being kinder, gentler, more patient. Let's just talk real quick about the compassion part of it. I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He says, you can comfort others with the comfort you yourself received from the Lord when you were going through that same suffering. I tell you, there's nothing like a good fiery trial in the life of a Christian to give them more compassion for other people. And then you see them going through what God got you through, and you just have such a love for them and a compassion for them. And this love, those who love God, I mean, we kind of run past that, don't we? You know, those called according to His purpose. How about those who love God? Isn't it true that the law is summed up by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because when you love God that way, you're not going to have other gods before Him. When you love God that way, and you love others as you already love yourself, and you love yourself. When you love others and you love God, which really sums up the law, the first five and the last five of the Ten Commandments, that's what God's doing. He's making you more loving. Not just loving of others, but loving of Him. You love Him deeper and in ways that you would have never otherwise loved Him on the tail end of it. I want to close with just a word of encouragement, because I know there are many. We get so many people that are emailing us from all over the world, and they're just going through a lot of really, really hard stuff. And, You know, it's heartbreaking, but God. I mean, you have compassion for them, and you hurt with them, you weep with them, you weep with those who weep, you rejoice with those who rejoice. And there's been times where I, I've just wanted to reach through the phone or through the computer screen and just give somebody a hug and say, I know how hard this is, because I've been there. <laughs> And I just want to encourage you that God's going to see you through. You just wait, you'll see.
He loves you so much. If you only knew. And then when, when in a little while, you suffer for a little while, and you come out of it, and God gets you through it, and you're your relationship with Him is just, I mean, wow. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. I love you more. <laughs> no, I love you so much, Lord. That's what He's doing. You'd be encouraged. You'd be encouraged. God loves you. God's going to see you through. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you're suffering. Yeah, it's so painful. Yeah, it doesn't look like you're going to make it through this thing. But God, He loves you. He'll see you through. You trust Him. You trust Him. Though He slay you, you trust Him. Esther, if I perish, I perish. I trust Him. I love Him. So be it. So be it. Why don't you stand, Capone, why don't you come up before I smudge my mascara here. <laughs> God, you're, you're so good. <sighs> Lord, we just uh, <clears throat> got done singing, you know about this, just those who are weary and hurting. And Lord, I just pray that today, as only You can, by the Holy Spirit, just comfort and encourage, strengthen. Thank You, Lord, that all of the pain is not in vain, that You're accomplishing this work in our lives, and You're providing us that which we lack, and You're producing that perseverance that we need, and You're making us more like You. Please encourage those who are hurting and suffering, and just love on them minister to them. Lord, thank you so much. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.